0: As-salamu Alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brothers and sisters. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this, the third episode of The Convo, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Sofyan Badr, and my co host, Hamza Qureshi. As-salamu alaykum. Um, on uh, social issues, <clears throat> a fortnightly podcast every second Monday. On, on social issues, on current issues, on political issues. And, of course, um, we try and raise uh, important uh, issues of consideration and, and bring them to your consideration. Thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us tonight. We we actually go live tonight in very uh, precarious circumstances. Um, of course, there has been about just under a week since the tragedy in Lebanon which is which has been a tragedy of what can only be described as obscene proportions yep. um, and uh, we we would like to use this opportunity inshallah to try and introduce some guests w- to try and introduce some important angles and perspectives on uh, the issue of Lebanon and what has ha- wh- what has happened in Lebanon um we want to look at uh, some important questions that we know that you guys have on your minds because they are the obvious questions that we all have on our minds. Uh, the economic situation that has led, that uh, that has been the backdrop of this um, attack or, uh, sorry, of this explosion. We'll explore if there's any possibilities of an attack. Yep. Um, but what's actually happening on the ground in Beirut? We, inshallah, will cross live to some very special guests tonight um, and get their word on the street on what's happening in the ground on uh, in Beirut right now um, inshallah so we leave you with our introduction and inshallah when we get back we will introduce tonight's guests inshallah <laughs>
1: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back um, after our short intro video. Um yeah, so I'm not going to sort of go into a spiel. Sufyan's already laid the groundwork. Um but uh as you know, as interesting as it is to have um you know these guest speakers, it's just really tragic to have to speak to them in these circumstances. Of course. Like um you know, you'd love to connect with Muslims around the world and you know, you talk to them about you know, interesting topics, jovial things, uh, you know, during good times. But the reality is, unfortunately, we're just so plagued by crisis after crisis that that's when we end up sort of um, reaching out and getting opinion on the ground and so forth. Um, but yeah, like this uh, this explosion, um, it's it's been building, like it's been an explosive situation um, for a while now in Lebanon. Um, and this has sort of just brought everything to a head. Um, But look, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guests, inshallah. Uh, So we've got uh, Brother Ali Harfush. He's based in New Jersey, in America. um, And he is a researcher and political analyst who specializes in the Middle East and North African region. Um, So he's uh, joining us live from New Jersey, inshallah. He is Lebanese, um, and he was in Lebanon only two months ago. So at the height of, you know... Possibly not at the height, because obviously this explosion has now come and taken the spotlight. But whilst he was there, certainly many, many issues. Um, Further, we've got uh, Brother Habib Batta. He's an award-winning investigative journalist. And he's had uh, over 15 long years of experience reporting uh, on the Middle Eastern region. So a lot of expertise and specialty there, mashallah. And we've got Brother Osama Saada who is an educational policy researcher who focuses on youth policy Mm. uh, in the Middle Eastern and North African regions. So, uh, mashallah, our guests very well versed and I really do hope that we can have some interesting conversations uh, regarding this issue, inshallah, and definitely address sort of those kinds of broad topics and areas that are all on our minds. Mm. So, yeah, so very, um, as you said, very well
0: respected, very well credentialed guests. Um, We are absolutely honored to have uh, we'll turn our attention, inshallah, now to our guests. As-salamu uh, alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brothers, Usama and Ali. Wa alaykum as-salam
1: wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. First of all, Jazakallah khair for coming on. Um, you know, obviously this issue uh, is one that's recently gotten the spotlight. So uh, just a, a big thanks from us uh, here at the Convo uh, for you guys to be joining in. Jazakallah khair. Wa
2: wa
0: Okay, so uh, brothers, um, before we... Before we get to the questions, we do have a number of questions that we'd like to ask, um, and we do have a number of questions that have been sent through uh, and that will be coming through later on. um, On that note, uh, for our audience's purposes, Um, we will have an opportunity towards the end of this session to take some live calls, um, and we will put that number up. Um, later on in this episode inshallah Um, and of course when you call in your um, our special guests for tonight they can hear um, what you say directly so you're talking to them if you'd like to address your questions to a specific guest you can do so that or that a little bit more about that later on in the show but inshallah just to just to get things started if uh, you guys can maybe introduce yourselves um, um, inshallah
2: um, assalamu alaikum wa barakatuh. Uh, so, you know, just a quick clarification in terms of um, residence. I'm actually based in Beirut uh, That's where I work uh, I teach in, in Beirut uh, and live in Beirut Currently I am in the United States just visiting uh, family
1: oh, so Apologies, was for, the, that I was,
2: no, apologies. Okay. for that uh, So it's unfortunate that I was not there um, when this happened uh, But I mean that's just a quick uh, Clarification sure. um In terms of uh, In terms of residence yeah. and, and you know Where I'm at Barak Allah uh, I think you know The introduction was sufficient
1: Alhamdulillah Brother Osama uh, We can't hear you um, You might be on mute I think oh. you are There well, we go that. Okay we now Yes Allahi. we can hear you okay.
3: now As-salamu alaykum, uh, alaykum, alaykum. Uh, Everyone so pleasure to be with you all mm. uh so i'm a university student studying english literature at the american university of beirut and i'm uh passionate about uh researching about education policy in the MENA region and to know how to improve uh the education sector in lebanon specifically um so yeah that, that's initially it
0: yeah. excellent uh for our for our audience purposes again uh that that acronym has been used a little bit with the publicity with Mina. Uh, I would just explain that a reference to Middle East and North Africa. So, we do have um, well versed um, academics and, and students of uh, the region of Middle East and North Africa. Yeah. So, of course, we're looking at a tragedy that has hit the Middle East, that has hit, that has hit uh, Beirut and Lebanon in particular. But, of course, um, it might um, it might bring about discussion about the wider um, area as well. Maybe we'll get started. Inshallah, yeah. we do want to get on with the program. We do want to get to the first question. Um, our Our third guest will be joining us. He was—he is a very um, busy man. He's, uh, as we said, an investigative journalist. He had an interview. In fact, I think he's just finishing off his interview. So he'll be joining us very shortly. I'm just in touch with him. Uh, Pardon me for the lack of professionalism if I check my phone, but I'm just uh, staying in touch with our third guest, and we'll introduce him um, when the time is right. We we do want to start with the first question of... what was your initial reaction? Obviously, uh, we've all read about it. We are quite distant from the eye of the storm. We're in Sydney. Uh, we do have listeners in several places around the world, but um, but of course, uh, none of us are in Beirut. And so for for maybe we'll start off with yourself, uh, Osama. If you can tell us a little yeah. bit about when what was your initial reaction when you heard the explosion, um, or when you heard about the explosion. If you can tell us a little bit about your initial reaction.
3: Yeah, yeah. So so what happened is um I was in my room uh in the living room actually and I felt and sensed like an earthquake. So because the building was shaking uh, shaking a lot. So I thought at first and the family as well that it is an earthquake. Then we heard this uh, sudden blast and uh, very loud um explosion. So we quickly hurried to the corridor and to hide uh, if anything else would happen, uh, a second explosion for uh, perhaps. So, um, so we then uh, assumed that this is an Israeli bomb. Mm-hmm. Then we had to uh, actually. It, it was very traumatic and very uh, highly emotional. There was like uh, I was constantly saying "Ashadu an La Ilaha Illallah, Rasulullah" because. Uh, one can never know uh, when his ajal is. Is, is it coming uh, near? So, uh, subhanAllah, it was very, um, it's like something happened, like a war broke out. Um, can you just, uh, I'm so then, sorry to
0: cut you, brother. Yeah. Can you just, for the purposes of our audience, can you just clarify yeah. how far mm. uh, is your re- residence from that, uh, from the uh, incident and where it occurred around the port? How far are you from there?
3: Uh, how far i would say like um in the middle so it's not it's not that near neither that far um uh fortunately alhamdulillah the uh, the doors that are made of out of glass the glass doors weren't uh closed so that didn't damage our apartments alhamdulillah oh. baami uh but i would say not neither too close uh, nor too far so like in the middle uh, so other people had it far more worse As you all know, uh, injured people, uh, deaths, over a hundred people died Mm -hmm. in that explosion. So, uh, but Alhamdulillah, um, Allah (laughs) protected us. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah, Ibn Amin.
1: And may Allah have mercy upon all those uh, who passed. And what about yourself, Ali? um, So, um, as you mentioned, you're based in Beirut, but you were um, outside of the region when this occurred. What was your initial reaction, thoughts, feelings, and so forth?
2: Uh, honestly, you know, pretty much the same as Osama. Um, absolute shock and utter disbelief. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, you know, when something like that happens, you really don't know uh, where to start, you know, who to call first, um, who to check up on. And, uh, you know, like Osama, I was actually woke up. my So my sister woke me up. Um, I was actually in California at the time. And my sister woke me up saying that uh, Israel is has launched strikes against Beirut. Um, Beirut is on fire, you know. Oh, and so, yeah. So you know, we got out of bed and um, it was with my mother as well and my sister, and we turned on to the news. Uh, and it was just, I mean, trying to fathom what happened, you know, because we were seeing the images of the of the blast, and you know, anyone who watches the mushroom cloud. Yes. It, it
1: looks almost like it's not real, like it's a scene from a Hollywood it film. Was, or something. It was
2: surreal. It was very surreal. So it took a while to process what happened, and then you know that's when we began to call family members. Um, and then at one point, I had to check. Uh, you know, I had an apartment uh, not too far from where the, the the explosion was set off. I would say maybe one point five kilometers, maybe. That that's and, quite close. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you know. Uh, Uh, The windows, uh, doors um, were shattered, blown in, furniture thrown to the other side of the room. Uh, The apartments in complete disarray. Um, Some of the neighbors sustained injuries. Uh, Previous workplace was pretty much uh, also destroyed and that's approximately two kilometers away. Uh, The university that I lecture in was also heavily damaged. Mm, uh, yes. In terms of the, the uh, some of the infrastructure and in the class especially the lower campus, mm. and then you know checking checking up on um, relatives. Uh, I don't think there was a single person who was not in one way or another uh, harmed, whether it's financially or physically and so forth.
0: Mm. The um, um, we yeah. read about, um, of course, in the various media outlets. You read about some of the statistics are, are absolutely like I said, it's obscene proportions. Like. You know, again, it stokes up the imagery of of war. Um, yeah. You know, imagery that Lebanon is not entirely unfamiliar with is in its recent past. And you're describing it the way you're describing it; it really feels like a war zone. And then you hear those yeah, statistics: exactly. two hundred. I think um, the latest stats I've just checked before coming online is is about two hundred people. BBC reported up to two hundred people dead, um, yeah. thousands. Um, yeah, I think five
1: or six thousand. Five or six thousand
0: injured, and of course. Um, we had up to three hundred thousand people who were left homeless.
2: So it really has that I mean, feeling, Sophia, you know. To put things in perspective, I mean, uh, you know, and Osama knows this. Uh, in in Lebanon, we've pretty much seen it all. Okay, so we've yeah. seen car bombs, we've mm. seen uh, you know uh, riots, protests, uh, wildfires, um, am- mass uh, am- amassing of garbages, you know, garbage all over the streets. Mm. Uh, in 2000, you know, 2006, when the Israeli war broke out, when Israel was striking Beirut, um, you know, we were there for that. You know, in, in terms of the damage, mm-hmm. the, the bridges blown down, um, the airport on, you know, parts of the airport on fire, but nothing could prepare us. And this is somebody who's seeing everything on video, right? Uh, nothing could prepare us for the images that we saw on August 4 it was absolutely definitely surreal and insane mm. yeah, just want to take a yeah.
0: moment to introduce our third guest uh very uh a very warm welcome to you brother i hope you can hear us clearly
4: yes i can hear you assalamualaikum
0: okay. your voice is coming through loud and clear as alhamdulillah we've got uh, uh, habib batta we've got to you investigative journalist brother we uh, introduced you um with all of your credentials um just before you arrived uh, but uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. We were just uh, taking introductory questions around I- initial reactions and maybe, um, sorry to throw this on to you so soon after your appearance, but if you can maybe tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and maybe your initial reaction to, to what's happened in uh, in Beirut.
4: Thanks for having me. No um, pleasure. Uh, I, uh, I've been covering Lebanon for the past... 15, 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, been through this, not mm-hmm. my first rodeo uh, with all these bombs and the uh, situation we're facing here. Uh, but as your guest said, you know, it was, it was for someone living in Beirut, and, and, you know, to say that this was a big deal is a big deal because we've been through every war you can imagine and every kind of bomb has been dropped in this country. Uh, yeah. So now we had a homemade <laughs> bomb. Uh, it seems to top it all off. And, uh, you so, know, I, uh, when I felt it, uh, um, it was, uh, I thought it was another, you know, I thought it was another Israeli attack, you know, because mm-hmm. I thought it, everybody went up to see, look at the sky. That was our first reaction yeah, exactly. in Lebanon, look at the sky. Mm-hmm. And that tells you mm-hmm. of people who have been traumatized and, and air bombed for their whole lives, you know. I, I didn't remember a time in my life when I didn't look up in the sky in Lebanon since I was a kid. Um, and think I'm going to get attacked. So uh, I heard the thud. You know, I was lucky, right? Living so, on luck. Sorry is, to um, is, is, is interrupt. To so uh,
1: how far were yeah. you from the actual blast?
4: Well, I was going to say I was just passing by the port, uh, you know, 10 or 15 minutes before it oh. happened.
1: Wow, subhanAllah. Um,
4: and it's normal because, you know, I, you pass by the port every day mm-hmm. when you drive around Beirut <laughs> and the highway is on the port. You know that's how people died because they were just driving. Oh, you know sense. they were just oh. driving by, uh, and uh, and this is six years. You know, so ask me where I was uh, this week, but you can ask me where I was for the last six years. For the last six years, I was next to that bomb. Mm. You know, I all of us, we, all those cafes and restaurants and bars and. Uh, that's where we spent our, our youth you know <laughs> and, and, and birthday parties and you know my wife's birthday party my birthday party every birthday party we had on that street uh or Jamezi uh, or you know the cafes and restaurants and I walked those streets every day you know taking pictures of, and to see uh, infrastructure
0: that you're so familiar with just shattered um, and flattened yeah. in the way that it was must have been catastrophic for you personally as well
4: yeah, I mean, as I said, it's like, imagine, I don't know where you guys are or, or where anybody is in the world, wherever there's that place where you used to go to cafes and restaurants yep, yep, and mm-hmm. where you used to walk and meet your friends. Imagine all that's gone, like just blown out. Um, and that's not only that, but also the houses, 200,000 200, people without houses, oh, because this is the oldest part of Beirut that was hit, the oldest standing part of Beirut. Most of Beirut has been destroyed and destroyed and rebuilt. But mm-hmm. this area is amazing. Marmachaya, La is still the oldest part of the city that's standing. Um, and, uh, and now it gets hit with this. So you find a lot of old buildings that are crumbling. These are buildings made of sandstone. Uh, mm-hmm. and, the, and the buildings that are 100, 150 years old, yeah, uh, yeah. they just come tumbling down like boulders, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so many buildings could fall yeah. uh, now. That's the real fear, I think.
1: Yeah, I think... um. I just want to touch on um, something that it seems, um, in fact, all of you have mentioned, which is that when you first heard of it, you thought immediately of an attack, particularly from Israel. Mm. Now, there's still talk of it potentially being an attack. Now, obviously, the the broad narrative around it at this stage is that mm. it was an accident, ammonium nitrate, so on and so forth. Um, but even the president seems to have suggested it could possibly be an attack now. Just, um, what are your thoughts on? Um, and, and this is for you know whichever of you would like to respond. Um, perhaps we can get a few thoughts here. Attack, accident. How should we look at this? Mm.
2: So, uh, so okay. So I mean, you know, Habib brought up a very good point, which is the uh, the fact that you know the Lebanese people, and not to mention you know the 1.5 million Syrian brothers and sisters who also mm-hmm. had escaped the trauma of the the war the the, the you know Assad's um, barrel bombs and Russian military jets and whatnot so the general collective psychology in Lebanon is one of trauma right like Habib had pointed out um, so it's only narr- it's only natural and instinctive that that is the first thing that we would think about mm. right um, now in terms of what we know the data that we have on the ground you know beyond the certain narratives that are being pushed from certain corners around the world and uh, the narratives that the president of Lebanon, who is extremely incompetent and unqualified to be making any type of statement about the, act, about the attack, is also trying to push in a way, in a sense, to try to uh, uh, shift responsibility for what happened. Yeah, yeah. Based on what we know on the ground, one thing is for sure, that 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate were placed in the port that they've been there since 2013, 2014, that they were in an un, um, unguarded location, unsecured location, that they were put by the grain silo, that they were put potentially by a, a weapons depot. Uh, and the very fact that, I mean, it's just the epitome of of, of of incompetence that you would place 2750 uh, tons of explosive and volatile ammonium nitrate. We're not yeah. talking about fertilizer here. Next to the wheat and grain silos, mm. at the center, at the heart of the city, where everyone has their coffee, where people pray, where people shop, mm. where people, mm. uh, uh, you know, take take their and, children for walks. And, and not just that, I think whatnot. it's
1: sixty percent of imports as well come through that port. So yes,
2: yes, it is the heart of the city economically, mm. socially, culturally and uh just in terms of the everyday so regardless of whether or not there was an attack right whether this was instigated what we do know is that the first party to blame for this attack is those who were incompetent in handling this material and that is the lebanese government mm-hmm. you know that's based on what we know now of course there are other speculations about how did the ammonium nitrate explode. Mm. Uh, What was the trigger and stuff of that sort but that's still something that that would remain in the realm of speculation Mm. and I'm sure you know Habib uh, Has you know knows much more about this particular issue.
1: Yeah, perhaps um, on the ground um, We've got you know both Osama and Habib who are both there. What's the feeling on the ground there? Is it, you know Do do people generally feel it was an accident or? uh, Obviously without taking the blame away from the incompetence as Ali uh, mentioned Mm. Attack accident, or where do people stand?
3: um i uh, i think i think what i've like heard over the media um and from the people on the ground um but what what is uh, as ali has said that it's definitely and absolutely uh the 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 consequence of the government's negligence uh, corruption uh, recklessness mm-hmm. um uh, but uh, like certainly this is uh the um, w- w- like self-evident amongst the people and uh, the protests are more furious than uh, before the pandemic happened so it's more uh, emotional sentimental um, uh, like the phrases that is prevalent and said by the people like either us or them Mm. Uh, we have nothing to lose Mm, after this blast happened Mm. so we have nothing Mm. so either us or them. I think um, like I think again from here.
0: from what we read of the situation in Lebanon, there was a lot to talk about in Lebanon even before this happened. I mean, oh, yeah. it's a very volatile. Territory, even before something like this has occurred, and of course you know the media at some point especially western media um, to some extent complicit in in just not even reporting what has been happening in lebanon for for the last six months even before this uh, incident um, but it 's very volatile ground uh, given the economic situation yeah. well before this incident has occurred and if you look at that sort of we wanted to we wanted for for you guys to maybe try and shed some light on that that the, the, the life of a layperson, the life of the everyday citizen in Beirut, in Lebanon, what kind of hardships, because we want to try and, and, and maybe get a sense of what kind, how, how perhaps their lives have been exacerbated by this incident, but what were their lives like leading up to the incident?
4: Yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Habib, go ahead. Uh, it's a Venezuela-like scenario yeah, in Lebanon, where well. people lost eighty percent value of their money. Mm-hmm. So, whatever money you have in the bank, whatever money you have in your pocket, whatever money you're getting paid, it cut it by eighty percent. So, imagine that in your wherever you are, wherever you are, imagine Sydney, Australia, by the way. <laughs> What's that?
1: Sydney, Australia.
4: Yeah. So, imagine it there. I'm sorry, I've been doing so many interviews, I got to lose Orbit, track Orbit. of. Australia, God bless Australia. You guys always call us. so many Australian <laughs> TV in New Zealand? I don't remember how many I've done, but yeah. I guess there's a big community there. You guys care, so that's great. There is, there but, is a big know, uh,
0: Lebanese, Christian, and Muslim community in Very significant, actually. Uh, in Sydney, yeah. and that is why we're, we're very interested, and I think a lot of our audience is very interested in just trying to get an understanding of the life of the everyday citizen in Lebanon as well, how this has impacted their lives. Like, for example, so, you know, things that we've been hearing about. know what it's mm-hmm.
4: like. Uh, sorry, go ahead. So a lot of people probably know what it's like to be sending their family money. Uh, Mm. People are living off of, you know, people, you know, remittances. uh, So I'm sure a lot of it comes from Australia and and other parts. But people lost, you know, have have lost everything so many times in this country. Mm. So many times people lost everything, you know, and lost loved ones and been bombed. You know, we were talking about, I think we talking about 2006, you know, 2006 war might not have been the biggest explosion, but you had a leveling a leveling of dozens and dozens of buildings, Mm. um, you know, and I think what's ironic about all this is that different communities pay different price based on geography in this country. Mm. Um, And if you are Shia in Lebanon, you know, you're much more likely to have experienced this before uh, in recent years um, than other communities like the Christian community, which these neighborhoods haven't been bombed uh, during these wars uh, Mm. so much. So uh, the people who were spared now didn't get spared. Um, and, and, and I think uh, you have to realize that, unfortunately, the city is still divided on a sectarian uh, basis. And, uh, and the people of Dahi and South Beirut and, and South Lebanon, unfortunately, have experienced this kind of thing uh, so much more mm-hmm. than a lot of other of us have um, in the country. And I, I, and I think that um, even though everybody's faced it, you know, I mean, I think that we have to be careful with saying us and them. I think it's not there's no us and them when there's a bomb of course. Um, and people are dying, you mm. know, and, and there's uh, 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 so much of this dying to go around in Lebanon. And I think even if you're uh, middle class or maybe you have a cousin or someone in a party, even if you're a member of a political party in this country, doesn't mean your life is, is very good. Uh, and so, you know, look, the political parties, they've done a horrible job. The government's done a horrible job. They wish they wish it was Israel. They hope it's Israel. That's their. That's their only. Only life. Uh, only thing left. That it's Israel that did this to them because they can blame somebody else. Mm-hmm. And Israel's done that's plenty of bad point, things. And yeah. there's no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I won't put it past uh, them to to be involved in this either. But yeah. uh, but you know we have to face uh, the fact that this government uh, is an utter failure in every in every way because it's not really a government. This is not a government. This is militias. These are militias. These oh, are militias negotiating. You know, yeah, maybe, every, maybe every, every day um, we relive the war because every, everything is a negotiation of the war. Every contract wow. in Lebanon, that's why we don't have electricity. We don't have uh, garbage pickup. We don't have every public contract. is the war being renegotiated, the war being relived. You know, I take this much. You take that much. You know, I get it before you get it.
1: Yeah, so on, the, on that note, um, maybe we can just, um, perhaps one of the other guests can talk about um, looking at sort of the reality of uh, Lebanese society and sort of the government in particular – In terms of how that's an outcome of, as you said, uh, militias and how, you know, civil wars and everything, all these conflicts have led to particular groupings and sort of uh, in government how that's contributed to the corruption of it. So as I understand it, you know, you've got certain um, religious minorities or ethnicities that are given certain positions and power and so forth, but that's all part of a history. Maybe you can just give us a bit of background uh, as to how that's come about and what impact that has on Lebanese society.
2: So, uh, I mean, I just want to briefly, before uh, you know, I just comment on that. Uh, just build also on what Habib had said about, uh, you know, the life of an de- average Lebanese um, mm. uh, person. Uh, you know, it's it's a bit difficult um, for people outside of Lebanon to kind of fathom what it means to live in Lebanon or maybe even Syria and and Gaza um and this is something that you know i experienced because sometimes you know, i shift back from the united states to saudi arabia uh, to uh, to the united uh, from lebanon to the united states and so forth so one thing i can say is that there is no aspect of life that is untouched by the corruption and incompetence of the lebanese government so for example we know that the air that we breathe you know that we that we breathe in lebanon is cancerous due to the high levels of pollution Mm -hmm. um we have the garbage crisis and so the very air the, the very air that we smell you know is rancer and 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 polluted um you know literally you can smell garbage you can wake up to the smell of garbage uh in terms of transportation in roads you know before you get to your workplace you have to check what roads have been closed off due to burning tires and which roads are not Mm. Uh, in terms of your finances you know we've had our income slashed by 70 80 percent as a result of the financial crisis so there is nothing even at the level of the ordinary that is not untouched whether it's electricity or something as simple as ordering food which is then delayed due to a car bomb scare Mm. or riots or protests or something of that sort now um Going back to the original question with regards to the sectarian makeup of Lebanon and how that has affected the politics. Now, I think this is a complex issue and it's only beginning to come to uh, the surface, right? Because generally what we have done is we have associated uh, conflicts with the acts of one particular politician or a certain event in the region and so forth. But now people are beginning to understand that the situation is actually much much more systemic and that the problem is much more foundational than the corruption of one or two figures or yeah, yeah. you know for example israeli aggression we're becoming we're beginning to realize that the political landscape that the, pl- the foundations of the sectarian system in lebanon are fundamentally un uh, I- irredeemable mm. they cannot be reformed and they are producing and perpetuating the state of conflict mm. uh, uh in lebanon whether it's between the lebanese or whether it's um, Lebanon and its place in, in the broader Middle East. So not only does it affect us on the political level, right, in, the, in terms of policy, uh, political policy and economy, but the very psyche of the average Lebanese citizen. Can I, right, can how I the just ask there, sorry yourself. to
0: interrupt you, can I just ask there, you mentioned that um, the average citizen doesn't look doesn't no longer looks at the president or the prime minister in their capacity as like a single representatives of the government as responsible, but they look at the system as a whole yeah. and I know no I noticed that the other guests are nodding along in, in agreement. Is there something specific you can point to to sort of substantiate yes, that of claim? Of
2: course of course the the okay so so you know like habib and you know osama we've been involved in the protests on a day-to-day basis mm. right whether it's in terms of organization speaking uh monitoring and analysis now what was different about these protests the protests that uh you know beginning with the garbage uh beginning with the financial crisis and and covid and so forth is that uh, uh, uh in contrast to the protests of 2014-2015 a new slogan emerged. Mm. Two new slogans emerged in this protest, in these protests, um, before and after the explosion. Uh, the first was "Ashab right? That the people seek the fall of the regime, which was, of course, the slogan yep, for yep. the Arab Spring. And the second, and this goes to show you the, the evolution in terms of political maturity and political awareness uh, among the people, is the slogan "Kullun Yaani Kullun." meaning everybody means everybody mm. and this, this the idea behind the slogan was that nobody is excluded from the demand that we seek the, the the fall of the Lebanese government of the regime and all of its apparatuses without excluding any particular sectarian figure mm. whether he's Sunni, Shia or Christian and you know you have different Christian sects. So uh, those slogans and the intensity of the protests, and the diversity of the people who were who were on the ground, on the protest, you know, kind of signifies and represents the direction that the Lebanese revolution is going towards.
1: So could it possibly be said in an in a strange and ironic kind of way that, that Lebanon's been seeking or supposedly seeking this sort of togetherness of different sects and religions and so forth, and couldn't happen with government and the setup and uh, the framework, but then. Poverty and uh, destitution and problems and everything in a weird kind of ironic way Was bringing more togetherness than anything else that they've attempted to do Could you possibly course, say like in a perverse kind of way it's gone in that weird direction
2: Of course let me, let me just say this because um, Beyond all the political slogans beyond your political philosophy When, when, when somebody comes and says to you I am hungry Right. Or, uh, uh, you know, like with the George Floyd protest, I can't breathe. So Mm. when somebody comes and tells you I am hungry, right, that evokes in you a certain sense of responsibility and a certain sense of urgency. Right. Mm. Irrespective of your philosophical background or the person who is telling you, I am hungry. Mm -hmm. Right. So the crisis, yes, it did unite different uh, people belonging to different sects. Because the oppression, right, and the level of incompetence has has reached a certain level, where for the mm. average Lebanese citizen, it's a matter of life or death, right? Yeah. It's no longer an issue of you know my ideology or this ideology, my political interests or this political interest. It's literally an, at this point a desire to survive, mm. a desire to to, to live. Oh, Subhanallah. Can um, I add um, something.
0: something. Yeah. Osama, you wanted to add something to that? No, 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 no. Go ahead, Habib. Mm.
4: Oh. Um so I think that uh first of all, I mean which is all means all, is this phrase that has become the slogan of the Thawra, the revolution in Lebanon. Um and it's it's uh, it's new in the sense that it's being said publicly, but I mean for as long as I can remember people always cursed and said, I curse all of them, you know. But People always say that you know like in a cab or or wherever like people always said that because it's a it's it's a great way it's a cathartic way to prevent your frustration about all the problems we're having like everybody's responsible you know and uh, all of them my guy your guy all the guys but I mean unfortunately I think that it's it's also a very simplistic way of looking at a very complex complicated problem. And the most complicated of problems is Lebanon, if there ever was one in this world. Um, And and I think that when when people say and they've said it for years, they tend to say, uh, but my guy's not one of them, you know. And so Kilon Yana is a great way to project outward and to say that, you know, the problem is there, them, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not part of that problem. Um, And and there's something problematic about that, because uh, I feel that, the political system we have today is not foreign. It doesn't come from another planet. It comes from the planet Lebanon. And, 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 and it comes from our wars. So we have to so be very careful not to um, treat it as something that came from somewhere else. It came from us and it shaped us and it built us and it is who we are, unfortunately. Fortunately or unfortunately. I think a political system in any country, whether you feel that you're represented by it or not, somehow um, is, is, is fundamental in your society. Uh, because people who have um, guns and money uh, run things all over the world. Um, And we can't deny the fact that that happens. And I think people benefit from that in some way or another. A lot of people do. Um, And a lot of people are tied and wedded to these parties for their entire lives. Um, And nobody here doesn't have a cousin or somebody who was involved in the party or involved in the war because the war affected everybody in this country. Um, And so uh, oftentimes I think this simplification, um, this reductionism, Of our conflict that's just a battle between good and evil uh, between the bad guys and the good guys really kills the nuance of of what's happened um, here in this country and the real the real challenge that we face if we want to change things we have to also understand how they work and 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 the way politics works in lebanon and any country in the world is that people who have money people who have organization people who have ideology and people who have guns those are the ones who take power and build countries. That's, that's not – we can't reinvent the wheel here. And would so the in Lebanon don't have any of those things. They would don't you. have the organization, and they don't have the ideology. And we have a lot of different groups who are angry, and just but, but, the, we, but they're angry for different reasons at different people. And so this idea of this unity, um, I think we need to take a step back and take a breath and see how we can really make that and how we can build that. But it's not going to be through a slogan.
0: Would you say, if one way to look at it is that, um, you know, people are opposed to this system of uh, ruling by might, ruling by the gun, or ruling by corruption. Would you say one way to look at this slogan of, uh, of you know, kullun ya'ni kullun, one way to look at that is that people are opposed to that system, the entirety of the system.
4: But this is a system of how every government works, it's how Australia works, it's how Europe works, it's how America works. Mm. The gun is what makes our, political, our our politics in the world. We can't uh, dream and think that that doesn't exist. Mm. You know, you can yell and you can scream and you can throw things and you can break windows. But if, <laughs> you're going against people with tanks and guns and armed men, you know. Mm. And so you have to be realistic about the world that you I, live in. Maybe and I can... think that every, every government system is based on a monopoly of violence. In Lebanon there's not a monopoly of violence, you know? So in the good in the countries that are nice and rich, okay, you have one government and one army and one police and you can't and you can't challenge them. You know, it's funny, if you go to America, you can't block a street, a highway in America like you can in Lebanon. You can't block a downtown, they'll take you out in a second because that's what that's what a country is built on. Essentially, someone has to win. Mm-hmm. Someone has to say I'm in charge, okay? That's how countries where they work with clear Command, okay, yeah, clear okay. chain of command and hierarchies. Um, Unfortunately, we're not in a, in, in, a, in, in a utopian world where there's no hierarchies and everybody's, you know, loving each other. And I think that people in the West don't realize the amount of violence that keeps their societies peaceful. And so it's very easy to look at this oh, you guys are so violent. I mean, or, or you have warlords. There's no country that wasn't founded by a warlord. Warlords find countries. That's what happens. You forget about it over time. They tell you it's okay and you're the best ones and they tell you a story about it 50 years later and everybody's <laughs> happy. But, you know, Australia, all the countries in the world are founded by violence. Absolutely. And the question yeah. is who uh, will win the violence? Maybe. And no can, one can win the violence in Lebanon.
1: I want to try and redirect um, uh, uh, some comment to Osama here. Um, because he's you can tell he's itching to go now Uh, he's got something to say Um, now I wanted to ask Osama what do you think do you think that at times perhaps with the slogans and the protests and so forth do you think it's perhaps a little simplistic and I also just want to note um, uh, and I'll ask this as well have you been to any of the protests yourself have you been involved on the street and and what do you think about potentially oversimplifying a very very complex issue
3: I would say that, like, in words, it would be uh, an oversimplification, but at the same time, if we broke down these words, it represents the complexity of uh, the reality of the political system. Um, uh, but I think, it, like, the um, the external or the... Uh, what What is the apparent uh, meaning of these uh, slogans are, like, simplistic. But at the same time, if you break it down... Uh, it could mean uh, it could have a far deeper meaning than what it appears to be Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so when you say it it essentially implicates that you're banishing or you're like um, kind of like destroying the uh, system as a whole Um, uh, but I think if someone just Contemplates about it that would uh, lead him to this meaning. But at the same time, I, I'm not very on the ground as frequent as others. Uh, but I'm very um, like active on social media, like f- following news very frequently. Um, um, but at the same time, it, ha- it holds a truth to it to the, to mm-hmm. the slogans that, uh, like for example, a Shab you read the scot in Iran. Um, but at the same time, there is no clear alternative that the people has, like a clear uh, uh, direction towards, but, but what they do know, what, it, what is absolutely evidence for the people, that these uh, uh, politicians, these warlords must uh, go.
0: Mm. And I think this that's is what is those- that's yeah. the voice that's coming through yeah. in some of the protests that we see on a daily basis, gaining
2: momentum as well. Um, Look, yeah. I want to turn I our attention. Comment, sorry, go uh, on. Just if, just if I can build on on what Habib said in terms of, sure. uh, you know, uh, how do we engage or how do we engage with a political phenomenon that is as complex as Lebanon, you know, and in terms of uh, where do our slogans come in and whatnot. So without doubt, I think you know one of the worst things that we can do is to uh, engage in reductionism or optimism or any type of utopian thinking, without understanding the complexities of the situation in Lebanon, uh, let alone the complications in in the area. Right uh, now, when when we speak of slogans such as you know Shaburi or Kullun uh, what we meant here is with regards to the, the the sort of political consciousness that is beginning to emerge in Lebanon that is beginning to emerge. Right, and by that I mean specifically, in concrete terms, the emergence of a new political bloc, right, that does not belong to the traditional political parties, right, and those are the primarily the uh, the protesters. Now, that being said, when it comes to a country as as uh, as complicated as Lebanon, especially with its history of sectarianism, uh, there is no doubt that uh, we cannot just rely on. Uh, slogans, right for our political analysis or in terms of trying to uh, uh, think of, of of certain alternative futures. Mm. and that is because I have said as I said earlier, that uh, politics and and the way governments and 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 regimes are structured influence the way people think, right? They influence the the human psyche, the collective psyche. So the problem in in Lebanon is that this sectarianism has been so deeply embedded, that people either, you know, accept it and they accept this, you know, the the godlike status of their their zaim or their political party, or they resign to the conclusion that look, there is nothing that I can do about it. Now, after these protests, a third option emerged, which is, you know, what um, the not doing anything or the inevitability of sectarianism in Lebanon might not be a certain eternal present, right? But it is something that we can change, right? Now, the problem with that, and this is something that we, we uh, you know, that we felt on the street with the protesters is that there is no, uh, up until now, nobody has articulated a real alternative. Mm. Now, why is there no real alternative in Lebanon, right? One can, for example, point to, okay, what about a democratic socialist state? What about a state in which, uh, 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 you know, voting is not based on sectarian affiliation and whatnot? Now, the problem with that, the reason we can't think of a radical alternative is because, unfortunately, unfortunately, many segments of the Lebanese population still accept this religion of sectarianism, right? They are still very loyal to the point of ultimate concern and absolute surrender to their political elite, to the, and and to their uh, their political party, so I'll I'll end with this. For example, you know um, when we were at the protests, right? I still remember that, you know, we we would always be attacked by two fronts. The first was, of course, the you know the state police and 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 the Lebanese armed forces, but the real brutal uh, engagements and attacks actually came from other Lebanese. Um, other Lebanese citizens, right? Other Lebanese oh, wow. groups that belong to certain political parties who would literally come down to the protest with gasoline, uh, pocket knives, and sticks, right? To terrorize the protesters. Hmm. So that kind of goes to show you why, like Habib is saying, uh, the political landscape in Lebanon is as uh, complicated as it is. Hmm.
1: Jazakallah khair. Um, Look, our... I might try and move to to a different aspect of this discussion, um, which is the international kind of reaction to it. Um, So, you know, we've heard and seen these outcries of support and sympathy and so forth coming from Western capitals and uh, even Tel Aviv and so forth. Um, And then we saw uh, France as well get very closely involved with um, Macron actually being present there. Um, How do the Lebanese people view the international reaction? Do they see it as genuine? Do they see it as tokenistic? What's the take on the ground Mm. with regard to the international reaction to this tragedy?
4: Well, can I just say that there isn't one Lebanese people that feel one way about things. And that's the core of the situation in Lebanon, is that people in Lebanon have very different worldviews, and they will take every event, and explain it very differently. And that's why it's so important, said to have a chain of command, to have a state where everybody learns the same thing, okay, and doesn't question that much what the story is. And that's the way that countries function well. But Lebanon's not at that stage. Lebanon's a stage where everybody has their own story and they'll believe whatever uh, they'll believe uh, because whatever has helped them survive in their lives. And, uh, you know, so before Macron came here, Ahmadinejad came to Lebanon in 2006 mm. and walked the streets and said, oh, we're rebuilding this part of town. They didn't care about that part of town. Um, same, they didn't, you know, people in Lebanon, some people even celebrated when they were bombing South Beirut. Mm. Um, you know, and they didn't have the whole world community up in arms saying, we're going to rebuild South Beirut and Hezbollah. We're going to rebuild Hezbollah's neighborhood. No, nobody, nobody cared at that time. Mm-hmm. And so but now people but now people are all you know feeling their hearts because again this is the French Christian part of Beirut and so now you have the French president who comes in and so our whole life you know we could talk as much as we want about fixing things in Lebanon but in the end of the day Lebanon is a joint venture between warlords in this country and big countries that have weapons that want to fund them mm-hmm. and so France funds You know what? It's friends in Lebanon. Iran funds its friends in Lebanon. Saudi Arabia funds its friends in Lebanon. Okay, so so it's very easy to say that we could change things, but we we can't forget about the way that Lebanon works. Is that it's an international arena. Lebanon is an international chessboard, and they've all got their competing interests, and
1: they're all fighting against each other. Yep.
4: We have to ask countries: Are they serious about helping Lebanon? Okay, so you can send us food. But if you send guns, more guns than food, and you're sending food today, but guns every day of the week, okay, you can't tell me that you're a humanitarian and you're trying to help this country. So, then, so every, Sorry to interject, but it,
1: let me ask you the question then. Yeah. So do you think that any of them are genuine in wanting to help Lebanon? What's your personal take on that? What would you this say? This a
4: great philosophical question. I mean, do countries really help each other? Are there good Samaritans in the world? Is, 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 is the world paved with good deeds? Do our gov- governments individual moral actors? I don't believe so. Mm-hmm. Governments uh, calculate national interest. Those trips are paid for, those donations are paid for. They have to be budget items. You know, they come from a certain uh, uh, policy objective standpoint. I mean, I'm sorry if it's cynical to you, but I mean, look at the world around you. If we love the world, why are we extracting oil and burning the whole world every day? You know, Why are we selling all these weapons? No one talks about weapons industry. Why do we never talk about that? It's trillions of dollars every year that are spent on destroying this world and the Arab countries buy those weapons like crazy Saudi Arabia Emirates yep, they yep, buy yep. tons of weapons from France okay mm. France is selling so many guns in the world then they come Macron comes to blow us a kiss I mean seriously <laughs> you know this is theater this is PR I mean you have to really understand that this is a well planned trip whoever whoever came up with this trip for Macron is a real PR genius who told them it's a great opportunity for you they're not walking the lebanese politicians can't walk the streets they'll get thrown rocks at them mm. so here jump in there jump in there make a make a thing make a France. you know they're giving us america's giving us 15 or 17 million dollars they give we need billions not millions okay yeah. they're giving israel 10 billion per year the one of the most wealthiest strongest countries in the world 10 billion per year and then they come and give us 10 million mm. and they want us to say thank you Mm-hmm. You know, Lebanon accepts more refugees than any country on Earth, and the world owes Lebanon. The world should actually be helping Lebanon because we have borne the brunt of all these wars yeah. that the big countries make money from those wars selling weapons. So they should be helping us a long time ago. So, um, and so, you know, I think it's, it's very complicated to see things, to detach things, you know, just see it as, as bad behavior and bad guys in our government. Look, the world's full of bad behavior. The difference in the world is that some countries make money, okay, and have good economies, and some don't. And that's the fundamental problem people face. People are willing to live in, you know, Arab countries that are not uh, democracies because they're full of money. You know, you don't see people rising up in the streets in, in Dubai okay but this doesn't mean that there's freedom there so i think we have this problem between freedom and economy and we try to mix the two but people need absolutely jobs. i think
1: i okay,
0: think you you raise some i think you raise some money. really important points but yeah, yeah. if we want to sort of move beyond you know what might be perceived by some as the fatalism of that kind of narrative i mean let's put it let's put what we have on on the table we've got um, uh, distrust between, I mean, we're saying we don't have a united voice within Lebanon, and that's understandable. There's various factions, there's various religious, uh, sectarian, ethnic, uh, ethnic communities. History. Uh, uh, and then outside yeah. of Lebanon, we're saying, of course, and it's true, there's quite Machiavellian kind of politics that are always being played. We don't have these Good Samaritans that are, it's all a PR act. It's all. So if you haven't got the help from the outside and inside, it's quite a quagmire of of conflict and division, and, and that's the reality of modern nation-states, especially in some of these war-torn areas such as the Middle East. What do we see, and I'd love to get some comments on this, and I'm happy to take some calls on this as well, as a, like a potential way forward, as a potential way forward to try and unite some important voices internally to get a, an indigenous voice rising from within Lebanon for some kind of political unity, for some kind of political change. Uh, what,
2: what, do, what do our guests think? Maybe we'll so, start with yourself, uh, Ali. Okay, so I mean that's that's a very good question, and it kind of builds it, it, it builds on what uh, you know Habib was saying. So you know, first things first, when when we think about Macron and his recent visit to Lebanon, you know what comes to mind is you know don't throw rocks if your house is made of glass. Same mm. thing with the comments made by Trump and whatnot. So we have seen you know how certain classes and races and ethnicities live. In the so-called first world, whether it is France or the United States, we have seen how, uh, you know, the modern state, the modern nation-state, and new liberalism, uh, turns politics into a, a a an extension of war, or you know, politics is war by other means, as mm. I just said. And um, so, and and what's interesting, you know, specific related to Lebanon, you know, uh, sectarianism in Lebanon actually began before the Lebanese state was even founded, right. Uh, the sectarian conflicts that happened were actually the direct result and product of foreign intervention in Lebanon, right? So if you go back to the 1860s and whatnot, you had you know the conflict between the Druze and the Maronites. This was instigated by British colonial uh, and, and British colonial and Russian colonization and whatnot. And French. the very foundations, yes, the French, and and the very foundations of Lebanon's sectarian government was was inaugurated. Under the blessing and auspices of the French government, ironically, uh, so we don't we are smart enough to recognize that we cannot, you know, cure a disease through a disease, mm. especially when it comes from the mouth of people like Emmanuel Macron and other yeah, yeah. Uh, political elites whose only interest is gaining more power and leverage in the region. Keep in mind that these are the same people, these politicians, these presidents in the first world, are the same people who supported these sectarian leaders before the people revolted against them. It's the the same, you know, we have the same scene in uh, Egypt and in in Syria, right? Hillary Clinton referring to Bashar al-Assad as a reformer. Mm, Uh, We know about the United States' relationship with with, uh, uh, Mubarak, right? And then suddenly after the protests, the United States and France and Britain become these uh, altruistic hero white saviors who want to save the Middle East and inaugurate a new political era. Um, but I think that this will fail,
1: mm.
2: right? And let me just end with this particular thing on order to your question. You know, very early on, uh, Brzezinski, who is the ideologue and one of the strategies for the American empire, you know, he warned of something, right? He understood that the United States will not be, there will come a time where it will not be able to fully leverage itself yeah. in the Middle East, right? France will not be able to leverage its power in the Middle East. And one of the things that he warned about was the emergence of a new political consciousness that is both global, right, and to an extent revolutionary. And I think we're beginning to see the seeds of that. Uh, you know, we're beginning to see the, the, the birth of that consciousness and that political awareness. Mm.
1: Sorry, can I, I, I just want to question that briefly. Um, and before I do, um, so you guys should see on screen now, there's a number to call in. So we are inviting calls now. Um, if anyone's got anything to contribute, some questions to ask, please call that number um, and your call will come through to us, inshallah, and we'll be happy to take it. Um, but just uh, in the meanwhile, Ali, so you mentioned a global consciousness. So are you, are you connecting what's going on in local Beirut and Lebanon generally to something more international? Like where's the connection there?
0: Or even something
1: regional um,
0: to draw yes. a connection between between those realities?
2: Yes. So… First and foremost, uh, you know, one of the key elements in terms of understanding politics or political analysis is to always look at the regional and the global uh, context, right? So we have, for example, in the Middle East, you know, as of 2011, you know, the Arab Spring, right, and the successes and the failures of the Arab Spring. We also have, even in the West, you know, the emergence of protests that denounce new liberal politics and the godlike status of, of, you know, the modern business corporation and so forth. So I think without a doubt, there is the emergence of a global political consciousness that although the the slogans and the demands and the awareness is not at par, right? It is not uh, uh, homogeneous. It is not the same in different parts of the world. But there is this sense that a new political horizon or a new world is possible. And I think the Arab Spring... Uh, What one of the things that the Arab Spring did for Lebanon, I would say, is that it inaugurated a new possibility. It Mm. inaugurated a new possibility, and that possibility being that an alternative future can be articulated and can be thought of, right? It's only at the level of thought, Mm. right? And I believe that's what matters. We've got. um,
0: Sorry to cut you, uh, Ali. We've just got someone on the line with us. Uh, If we just take this call, then we'll see what our some of our audience has to say on the issue. Yeah,
1: and if you can uh, introduce yourself, please, that would be great. Jazakallah khair. Uh, we've got someone on the line with us. Sorry, we're just technical hiccup. We should get it on shortly, inshallah. Our tech guys are working furiously in the background. To uh, look,
0: whilst we sort that out, um, I know we've had a little bit of a chat around uh, external powers i i i particularly um there was something i have to say look i'm not of lebanese descent but of course you feel um as a as a muslim i do feel but also as a human being i feel for the tragedy that's hit lebanon like uh, tragedy after tragedy it's not the first one honestly just even labeling this the the podcast um our initial idea was the lebanese crisis and we thought hang on like it hasn't been one crisis, and we we just re, like resorted to the Lebanese crises because it's been crisis after crisis. Some of the sentiment that you guys have expressed as well, something that got to me, it really did, was in a Lebanese um, a, an article, an Arab uh, Arabic article that I was reading online. It said that um, that that Macron in front of the French Parliament, he said, um, like to come out with that kind of strong like brazen language you know that if the situation in lebanon doesn't change we're going to work internationally to freeze the accounts of lebanese politicians like how does i want to know a little bit about how does that make um, us Phil. We've just got someone on, yeah, the, line got someone right on now, the line right so now, so, we'll so we'll return might. to that question a little bit. Maybe mull over it. Um, and we'll just take our question from our, or uh, well, question or comment, from our audience member. Assalamualaikum.
4: Assalam. Yeah, I just had a question. Um, uh, for the for the guys in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Um, what what does it mean when Macron comes into Lebanon and he sits on the table with the uh, political figures, including um, political figures from Hezbollah. Um, What does it mean for him to sit down on the same table as Hezbollah? And what does that mean for the future of Hezbollah in Lebanon? Does it mean that they will be part of playing a bigger part in in the government? Or would they be possibly letting down arms in the future to be accepted? And given that Macron has told the opposition, that Hezbollah is here to stay and to be able to work with Hezbollah? Um, that, that's the question.
1: Thank you very much. Um, I assume that our guests, they heard the question correctly, they heard it through, it was clear? Yes. Yep. So perhaps one of the, one of the gentlemen who are actually in Beirut at the moment, it would be good if you can um, respond.
4: Well, I mean, I think it's, um, it's one of the main political forces in the country. Mm. And uh, he sat down with all of the political leaders in the country... Um, as much as he said that he's not going to be part of that or whatever, mm. um, that hasn't been the case, by the way. France has been really <laughs> close to politicians yep, in Lebanon. Yep. Um, so uh, it's it's normal. It's normal. Every time a leader comes to Lebanon, they meet with the, le- the leaders in Lebanon. Uh, it is a little bit unusual. It's true uh, to have the Hezbollah person like explicitly at the table. Mm. Um, but I think people have said that that's a, a – he has a better understanding. He has a more nuanced understanding than the United States, for example, who would say, you know, I can't meet with anybody, you know, and so I think uh, Macron is maybe a little bit wiser um, than than some of the you know American counterparts who say that they were not gonna, they're gonna keep isolating and keep fighting Hezbollah in mm-hmm. Lebanon, and that's mm-hmm. one of our main problems is is the way the world has this reaction to Hezbollah, is that uh, they need to be fought. And that's why the, you know, the Saudis and the Gulf countries put so much money, too, because they're scared of Hezbollah, it seems, yeah. mm-hmm. and America wants to protect Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this has been one of the big issues about Lebanon is that, you know, we have this ongoing war with Israel, the south of our country. Uh, Israel continues to take Lebanese territory. People feel a need to defend that yeah. and to join this movement Can you we just can't, um, you can't end that conflict. Can- so people, it's, it's very realistic. To meet with Hezbollah yeah. because they're not going away.
0: Mm. Can I just add to that? I, I remember reading online a very interesting comment from uh, Danny Danon, who's a former ambassador of the UN. Said last year that the like again, again brazen language for for a for a UN ambassador to use this language. But I think perhaps that language is coming through because because this and, and I've heard this and I'd love to see what our guests think. It seems to be the sentiment on the ground. Just to quickly get a, a yes or no. Um the the comment was that the port of Beirut has become Hezbollah's port. Is that the sentiment on the ground in Lebanon or no? From your experience before we go to our next caller.
2: So I've never heard
4: anyone say that before.
2: Yeah, so so let me just briefly comment on the Macron issue and whatnot. Uh so I mean without a doubt, you know, those who even have a rudimentary understanding of, of international politics will know that this move by uh Macron is purely an opportunistic move Mm. in a way to try to create some leverage or some power on his end in Lebanon. Now, keep in mind that it was the French state, especially at the time of, you know, Jacques Chirac, who was the former Mm. president of France, that, you know, that funded and supported, uh, you know, certain Lebanese politicians like the Hariri family and the Mustaqbal party. And this is the same family that privatized and financially raped Lebanon and fueled sectarianism, um, whether it's through <clears throat> weapons or whether it's through discourse and so forth. So it's very interesting that Jacques Chirac would come, I mean, that Macron would come and denounce the very same people that he literally gave birth to, France gave birth to, politically mm, yeah, yeah. speaking, in terms of power. Um, mm. Now, uh, uh, it's it's in the interests of those in power by here I mean the United States, France, Britain, and so forth, uh, to try to absorb or to control any sort of change, right? So without a doubt, what we're going to see in the coming days Mm. is an attempt by these Western powers to try to absorb the movements. And I think Mm -hmm. that can happen in multiple ways. Mm. Uh, Now, whether France can do that is in question, because France doesn't really have the same political influence on the ground that it had before through the Hariri family and, and others. But there is without a doubt that people in power, especially in the West, will try to absorb these revolutions in order to protect their interests. Very in the interesting.
0: Region. We do have someone else on the line and we take another comment or question. Uh, hello to our uh, audience member.
2: Who's as- as- alaikum. wa alaikum
0: as- Who do we have with us?
1: Um, it's Brother Yusuf here. Asalaamu as- alaikum, Brother as- as- Yusuf. Nice to have you on. Well, just a quick one, I guess. I just heard on the news that the Australian government will be sending $5 million of aid to help rebuild Beirut. Mm-hmm. Now, it was, it
0: was mentioned that the money will be sent to aid workers directly and not to, and I quote, the corrupt Lebanese government. I guess my question is, I mean, how much of this aid will actually reach the people? And does this type of aid come with strings attached? And if if governments of the world like Australia are acknowledging that the corrupt the corruption of the Lebanese government, why does it continue to
2: allow them to exist? Mm.
1: Thank you for your question. thank you for your call, um, uh, Osama. Maybe you can um, have some comment on that yeah. if you wish.
3: Well, if, if I would like to voice out to the opinion of the of uh, the youth or like the people in general, uh, the government. There's no, there's no trust in the government by the people. There's a, a constant distrust uh, of the people by the, uh, uh, towards the government uh, because of its history of promises um, uh, and not abiding by their promises. And the easiest and simplest example is the 24 uh, hour electricity, uh, to provide 24 hour electricity for the people. And until now, th- since I think 1964, uh, until now, there were promises of a 24-hour electricity for the people, and still uh, it is being cut off. Uh, so, so this is evident that there's there's distrust in the government. This is the simplest example. There are a lot of other examples. Um, uh, so the demand of the people to uh, to the countries that are that. Um, Intend to send um, aid is to be through non governmental, mm,
1: yeah, a complete lack of trust. It appears,
3: uh, organization, the NGOs, yeah, um, more than the government. Um, but I'm not sure if what, what, which non uh, NGO uh, are they speaking about exactly, mm. but this is like the general. It is uh, the general sentiment. Chinese. Again, yeah. no,
0: we've got that sentiment across from, from a number of governments. Yeah. It's not just Australia, I think. France was, France France was the loudest like that, yeah. one that came out explicitly saying that, look, we're happy to... In fact, France, um, in, in, again, language, that was a very frustrating person. Like I am like I said, I'm not Lebanese, but it was frustrating even for me to hear yeah. some of that language coming through. We've got another caller, um, and we'll come back to this issue, inshallah. Who do we have with us? It's Abdurrab. Abdurrab, how are you, brother? Alhamdulillah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, what is your comment or
1: question? Yeah, my question is that uh, the crisis which is there. Hello, assalamualaikum. Yeah, yeah, we can hear yeah, you. We can hear you. Go ahead. Uh, yep, Are yeah, you there, brother? My question
0: yeah. is, yeah, can you hear me? Yes, yes we yes. can. Go on. Yeah,
1: my question is the crisis which is there ongoing in Lebanon.
2: Uh huh. Is, is it confined only to Lebanon? Yes. Uh, is, uh, is it calculated because the, the whole region is suffering?
0: Sorry, brother, you're cutting up. That's okay. Now, we caught the question? Yeah. I think the brother's asking: Is the is the crisis in Lebanon? Uh, is that a crisis that uh, affects Lebanon, or or do you feel that in some ways it's a simmering issue in the wider region? Uh, like, do you draw parallels between countries within the Middle East? Um, uh, Habib, perhaps you'd like to comment on that?
4: Yeah, I mean, Lebanon is an international venture,
0: mm. you know,
4: and, uh, and the, the, Lebanon is the manifestation of our world. Our world is divided between the West, you know, on the one mm. hand fighting the rogue states, fighting the evil empire, right? of Iran and Hezbollah and, and Syria, right? So that's our world today in the Middle East. And also broadly, right? China is trying to come in. And so Lebanon is this chessboard where all of the powers are trying to uh, get a hold of it because of the oil wealth in the Middle East, because of the relationship with Israel, because of the arms trade and the huge amount of money being made here. So Lebanon is a little key piece of this big economy of weapons and oil. And it's that little piece that's not really, nobody really controls it yet. And everybody wants to have that piece. And so that's what's been going on forever and ever. And it's really funny to hear these governments like Australia, and I don't know who, saying that, ooh, the corrupt government, you know, as if uh, just happened yesterday, you know. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and all yeah. these years uh, they've been supporting these governments. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of doublespeak going on. Of course, and
0: that doublespeak, I, I absolutely agree with that sentiment. It's not just the fact that... Uh, they have supported the dictatorships. But in many ways, they are the perpetrators of a lot of the oppression in in some of the territories surrounding in in the Asia-Pacific region. Like Australia has got a very long history of – a very long and a very bloody history. Um, um, And so it's very rich for some of these countries. I I completely uh, agree with that sentiment to come around and talk about – do we have someone on the line or is there – okay, so another something I wanted to ask, I wanted to put to our guests is – this is, a, again, a personal thing. I, we attended, I attended Friday prayer just in this last Friday, and it was a very common scene where the Khatib stood up and gave a very passionate uh, sermon about Lebanon, about the crisis. Very beautiful. It touched everyone. You could, you could see there was this uh, tension in the air, and people felt that sentiment, and, they, and it resonated. with could, I could see that people's hearts were moved. And, you know, it ended as it always does after a sermon like that with an appeal for donations. Mm, and, and yeah, and you yeah. know, 100% the sincerity is there. A lot of people were, were were angered or annoyed and frustrated, but they said, look, we're giving this, but we want it to get there as well. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I felt, and it's not just Lebanon, of course, as there, there are parts, other parts of the world that are aching and that are bleeding. But on the issue of Lebanon, I felt like donating money Just isn't enough like you know if you were to give one message i know we are isolated from the eye of the storm uh, but there's a lot that people in the west can can do and can say and can i just want to ask you if you were to give one message to our audience who are listening to your words tonight like do you think there is something more that we can do than raise our hands in dua and and donate financially is there something else Ali, did you want to maybe start off?
2: Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I was saying earlier was that the first and foremost that the crisis in Lebanon is foundational and systemic. Um, You know, the very mental modes and ideologies that sustain the system in Lebanon um, are essentially what the problem really is. So it's not a problem of, you know, a lack of donations or money. We know that billions of dollars are circulating in Lebanon, but of course in the hands of a certain political elite. So at this point, you know, uh, donations uh, are not going to be, you know, channeled and directed to building a real, what we call a real economy. And so I don't think that we can reduce our response merely to economic support. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of what we can do, uh, I think one of the important things for people to recognize whether it's in Lebanon or outside Lebanon, is that the this crisis, although in Lebanon it is, uh, uh, it takes on its own form, and its own extreme, but the crisis is essentially a crisis of global politics and not merely a crisis yeah, uh, yeah, in seven, Lebanon. Yeah. So there are certain systemic similarities between Lebanon and uh, you know Europe and the United States, in particular. Uh, the use of violence as a way to maintain the status quo mm. we saw this in the United States with George Floyd we saw this in France with the yellow vest, yellow vest protests uh, that's the first thing and second thing and this is also part of the global political order is you know the primacy or putting capital before the people
1: mm.
2: and I think this is uh, you know the, the recognizing that we are part of a global, crisis and potentially we can be members of a global trans- transformation i think that is the best thing that we can do at this point mm-hmm.
1: all right now maybe we can just go one by one just a quick final word because we are conscious of time mm. um so maybe we'll just quickly get something the last final parting message from osama and then from habib as well inshallah before we conclude um
3: that's so like can you repeat the question? So, what is exactly? The so, question?
1: we're sitting here in Sydney, Australia, and we want to do something. We want to say something, but the only thing we really feel we can do, or some uh, ask for, is just donations. In fact, my workplace is having a Beirut donation drive as well. Um, is there something else we can do, or are we just limited to sort of raising our hands, making dua, um, you know, sending our prayers, and putting some donations down?
3: Mm. Um. I would say, like, very simply that um, it is about, like, spreading awareness within your society that the root cause of the problems in uh, the Middle East and the Arab world in general is uh, systemic, as uh, Ali has said. Um, so it's just the fact that the, the problem is not something to just uh, economic small foundational as uh, mm. the guests, the other i guests have uh, said uh so just the fact that to uh, prognosticate or to preach this idea within the society to to raise awareness uh that the root cause of the uh, whole area is systemic is foundational, mm. and we need to uh, radically mm. change uh, uh the area there
0: mm. yeah have any final words from you sir?
4: I think uh, people do need help, you know, Um, the donations are very much needed and and not just, uh, you know, I think if you could help in in any way you can in terms of shelter, food, medicine, but teach a man to fish. Right. I mean, so I think that Lebanon needs a real re reckoning and reorganization. And I and I and I and I I agree with what Ali and Osama are saying. There is a new consciousness in Lebanon. Uh, Let's support that. Let's ask questions. Let's hold people accountable. The Internet has really made things very different this decade, past decade for people. I think it's coming together. More people are reaching out more. You guys are here, these kind of shows, all this stuff. Um, so I think, you know, help as much as you can. But also remember that part of the responsibility relies with you and your country in your Western nice country. Mm. Think about the weapons that your country sells to the world and what's your country's real role in the Middle East, beyond nice phrases of "we're going to fight them" and this and that, and yeah, we love freedom, all that yeah. stuff. Think about follow the money. My my, my suggestion is follow <laughs> the money wherever you live, and see mm-hmm. how you're tied to the Middle East, and that all ties into us.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, it's a very um, very ugly. And honestly, if we follow the money trail, it's a very confronting reality. Like we'd be um, we'd be shocked by how potentially involved or um, inadvertently complicit some of these nations and even people are. Um, in in a lot of these uh, issues that occur, um, but look, I, I think uh, on that note we can um, thank you all very very much for your time. Um, mm. You know, you you've spent a great deal of time with us and Jazakallah Khair for all of your contributions. They have been fantastic. Oh, yeah. We've thoroughly enjoyed uh, the conversation mm. we've had with you guys, and um, you know, I, I really want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for doing this because. You guys bring a different dimension to the discussion. As Sofiana said, right, we're far from the eye of the storm. Mm. We're sitting here a metaphorical world away, but we have concern and we want to know what's happening and you guys have gone a very long way um, in providing that and hopefully Mm. our audience uh, has learned a lot from it and has appreciated the reality a lot more. I know I can say that I certainly have. Uh, It's been an enlightening discussion. So thank you very much for myself and from oh, yeah. uh,
0: and of course we I express my sincere gratitude to our guests especially those of us we know who we are who have uh, joined on very very short notice uh, <laughs> as a replacement uh, <laughs> guest thank you very much Habib for joining on very short notice as a replacement Uh, But but also to our other two guests, again, we really do value your time. I just also want to um, acknowledge in front of our guests some of the comments that have come through. We didn't get a chance to. We're not reading them all out, but uh, there is a Um Abdullah that has uh, um, shared some um, enlightening thoughts and comments uh, in the comment section. I do encourage everyone to have a read of that. Um, And thank you all once again for tuning in. Um, We will wrap everything up there. um, And, of course, we pray um for a bit of huh? Lebanon we pray Inshallah. for a bit of middle east um yeah. Yeah. and uh, keep of course um, um the region in our du'a Insha'Allah We'll wrap it there wa akhiru alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin <laughs> wassalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh assalamu wa alaykum assalam